Hey guys, before we get stuck into today's episode, I want to thank the sponsor of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, and that is Unify Health Supplements. Unify have the most premium, high-quality, science-backed products on the market in Australia today, and you guys can use the code TFLP to save 10% off your next order at unifyactive.com. Unify has a range of products, including whey protein isolate, plant-based protein, a pre-workout, creatine monohydrate, and their best-selling product, the Hydration Formula. So again, use that code TFLP to save 10% at unifyactive.com. My name's Sonny Webster and I competed in the 2016 Olympic Games for Great Britain and this is the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. Uh, you have nailed that intro. That's the best we've had so far, I reckon. That's that's pretty fucking spot on. Sonny, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you on. We've got a few mutual friends. Um, I've just spent majority of my time just admiring much of your social media content and feeling really shit about myself and my strength. But, um, mate, uh, I'm really looking forward to today's chat. I think the listeners will get a shitload out of it as well. Um, for everyone listening or watching at the moment, uh, we're going to touch on a bunch of different things today. But I personally would love to know, like, how your journey started, um, not only with just, like, Olympic lifting, but just training in general. Like, was this something that you instilled quite early on as a kid or how did this all come about for you? Yeah, I think from a from a very young age, fitness was always something that was was my life. Like I think going right back and the memory that I'm always taken back to when I think people asking me this question was my first uh, experience with the Olympic Games. And I was sat in my schoolroom class and it was a maths class and the PE teacher came running into the classroom and she said, look, we've got to all jump into the one classroom that had a TV and we've got to put on the TV. So big's about to happen. And it was right at the point where the TV got flicked on and David Beckham and Kelly Holmes were jumping up and down, hugging each other. And London had won the bid to uh, host the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. And that moment is still so special to me because that was for me when seeing how excited they were um, at the prospect of hosting the Olympic Games. I was like, I don't know what that is, but I want to be involved in it. And I want to be that happy when it comes to sport too. And that was kind of like my first sort of, I guess, experience when it comes to um, Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, but right throughout school, I played golf from an extremely young age. My dad had golf. a golf. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, my dad had a do golf club play? in my hand. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Handicap? Uh, two. All right, we can't play together. <laughs> We're not playing together, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I still get it around uh, really well when I was younger. That's what I did. And at school, I always used to do the cricket ball throw, which is what it was when you were like eight or 10. Um, like jump put. Yeah. And no, they used to throw a cricket ball before you were allowed to throw a javelin when you're super young. Fuck. So you just literally just throw <laughs> a cricket ball cricket as ball. you can. Um, when the sprint was 80 meters instead of 100 meters, yep. I was great until it went to 100 meters. Um, so I kind of would try everything at school and mm -hmm. I was not necessarily super great at anything, but I was good at most things. Yep. And I never really knew what my sport was going to be at that point mm. i was playing with golf and then i knew i wanted to go to olympic games golf was an olympic sport at that point and it wasn't until i got to secondary school um in year seven where i, where I found weightlifting 
and then what's the process from there? So you, you find weightlifting, um, you got the interest obviously in like the Olympic lifting style and whatnot. I think for a lot of people that are tuned into the episode that uh, may not have like had any experience within it, um, you know, you see it on, t- on TV, whether it's the Olympic Games or whatever, or even through social media. And it's almost like, you know, for example, I'm watching a video of you doing like a hand clean or something like that. And I'm like, how the actual fuck do you get from like just pumping iron to then be able to perform a lift like that. So for the audience, are you able to give some insight into, I guess, the progressions of like real basic as to particularly for you personally, like how you went from just lifting weights to then gradually progressing into doing these full lifts and, and starting to add some load to the bar as well? Yeah, well, I think the the big thing is nowadays weightlifting is so much more popular than it ever was before Mm. thanks to crossfit thanks to functional fitness and the fact that so many team sports now will utilize the olympic lifts um, in order to improve their sports performance in other sports so i'm grateful for that it was not the case when i started weightlifting was an extremely small sport back then yeah and there was probably only four schools in the whole country at the time in the uk that offered olympic weightlifting or was something that you could do and probably only a handful of reputable Olympic weightlifting gyms. Mm. You go nowadays, there's probably 10 places in this city where you could go and there'll be Olympic bars, Olympic plates, and you could get introduced to the sport. So it's a very different scenario now. Mm. Back when I started, like I said, there was very few people that you could go and learn from um, to actually pick up the sport. And with it being such a technical discipline, it's the only really way that you can pick up the sport is to be taught with expert guidance because yes. else you end up getting injured, you struggle and you don't stick around with the sport for too long. You mentioned before we um, hit the record button before, like you gave me a bit of a rundown on what your weight looks like at the moment. Um, obviously there's a lot of CrossFit stuff in there still. The progression of CrossFit in general from like day one to where it is now, how do you feel like it's kind of fared in terms of the quality of it and like your opinion on CrossFit itself from where it started to where it is now? Do you feel like it's, it's improved a lot. Do you, is there periods where you thought it was, I don't want to say questionable because obviously if you go to a, a good CrossFit gym with great coaches, then you're in really good hands. But do you feel like there was a period where it was a bit like touch and go depending on where you went? Cause you mentioned how technical it is. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people that look that don't do or haven't tried CrossFit, that would look at it and go like you're under extreme fatigue and you're doing these like real technical lifts with fuck all experience sometimes. So what has your kind of, um, thought process been around it since the start to where it is now yeah i think it's undeniably now it's a professional sport yeah and it's probably one of the fastest growing sports in my opinion in the in the gym and functional fitness space Mm. that that there is and i think when i was first made aware of crossfit and what it was within my community of weightlifting a lot of people frowned upon Mm. um crossfit and the fact that they were doing um, are so sacred movements yeah. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. in a poor way. Yeah. But the thing for me is I saw that as a an amazing opportunity to help people um, learn how to do our sport correctly yeah. and do it with more finesse and achieve their potential within the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, what I loved about the fact that what CrossFit did to weightlifting is it made it more mainstream, made it more popular and gave people an opportunity to actually attempt the sport. Get a taste of it, yeah. Don't get me wrong, like anything that you do, if we were to take up a brand new sport now that we've never done before, we mm-hmm. would also be rubbish. So yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people looked at it and just expected people to be great at something so technical in such a short space of time was never going to happen. 
And it takes time for the sport to evolve. It took time for the athletes that were participating in the sport mm -hmm. to value the importance of actually developing their skills yeah. as a weightlifter, as a gymnast, yeah. their ability to run, their yeah. ability to swim and everything else that CrossFit needs to be great at in its own right first before actually being able to do the full movement under fatigue. So yes, it was frowned upon at the start. I saw it as an opportunity, which is probably partly the reason why my businesses are as popular as they are now, because we were quite an early adapt adopter yeah. to um, helping out the CrossFit community and people that were picking up the sport weightlifting. I think as well, you mentioned like, obviously it's a sport, but for a lot of people early days as well, the mindset wasn't necessarily like it's a sport. It was just like, oh, this is just a style of training. So there's a bit of a blurred line between like, perception of like what it actually is and i think as you said whether it be weightlifting community or even obviously bodybuilding community earlier days it was very frowned upon as well as kind of like mm. almost looked down on if you were doing crossfit but i think it's evolved like so much what do you think for someone that is just stepping into a crossfit gym for the for the first time like obviously there's so many disciplines for you to build on your skill with and your capacity to train um but are some kind of foundational basic kind of things that they should be focusing on early days it doesn't have to be like technical mm. in terms of the lifts but just areas that it should be focusing on yeah for sure and that's partly one of the reasons why i started to do crossfit myself and participate in it to get a better understanding of what the people that i was now coaching were going through and the kind of yep. hurdles that they faced i think one of the hardest things for people getting into crossfit is like anything they see Tia Toomey, Matt Fraser, some of the best athletes in the world, extremely proficient in everything and go, I want to look like that yesterday. Yeah. So they go into the CrossFit gym and straight away they want to dive into the class with everyone else so that they fit in. Mm -hmm. And the coaches also want to give this new member a workout and make them feel satisfied. So a lot of the foundational stuff really gets brushed under the carpet. Yeah. And it's becoming, the, it's changing now because people are working out much quicker that if they're going to have a long and illustrious career in CrossFit, whether that be from an enjoyment point of view, from a health and fitness point of view, or from a performance point of view, they need to go through the correct process first yeah. of mastering the foundations. Mm -hmm. Most people that walk in into a CrossFit gym are over the age of 30 years old. Um, they've been sat at a desk for the last 10 years and they go, fuck, I need to get fit. Um, yeah. I'm going to dive into this sport and they don't have any body awareness, coordination, <laughs> mobility, all of these things yeah. that you have when you're younger that dissipates if you don't use it, mm -hmm. um, that they need to relearn. Yep. And if I was to give one piece of advice to anyone that wanted to take up CrossFit, take the time in the first six months to really nail down the foundations and the technical movements, doing nothing under fatigue, so that the next 10 to 20, 30 years of your time in the sport will be enjoyable. You won't hit as many plateaus and mm. you better stay injury free. Delayed gratification <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Of course. Play the long game. Yeah, for sure. I want to uh, learn more about your experience at the games. Um, from the moment you found out you were going to the games, like firstly, what was that moment like um, for you from like an enjoyment and like mental um, perspective, obviously it being a goal of yours and then having the realization that it's coming. Um, but then also your experience throughout the process of like competing and getting ready for it. Like how was your headspace? What were the things that you were really kind of focusing on coming into it? Yeah. I think when people ask me about the Olympic games, it feels like such a tiny chapter in my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 2016 is already a, a long, long time yeah. ago now. Yeah. And 
whilst the Olympics was such an important thing for me at that time in my life, uh, nowadays when I reflect on it, it will still probably be the most special day that I've ever had in my life and probably will ever experience, um, at least up to up to this point. Yep. And when I think back to the moment of when I qualified and I found out I was going, there was relief, there was excitement um, that I'd finally achieved that like holy grail thing that I wanted to do. And to be honest, in retrospect, the feeling of qualifying was almost better than the feeling of the actual yeah. competition of the Olympics. The realisation that that dream has yeah. come true, yeah. I think more than anything, it's the fact that every high and low and every sacrifice that I'd made to become an Olympian, mm -hmm. it was all worth it for that one moment. And I think you have to put a lot of other things on hold if you want to reach that level in any sport. Yeah. And it's a lot of sacrifice, but yeah, the satisfaction that I got from, from achieving it was incredible. But at the same time, it's an extremely lonely pursuit, you know, yes. in an individual sport, you don't have that camaraderie that you have in a mm -hmm. team. You go on the journey together. It's very much you um, and your coach and you have to really put in the work yourself and go through those grindy hard days alone that makes it 10 times more, I guess, enjoyable when it comes. Could you give the audience an idea of like, I mean, I feel like a lot of people would be able to understand, but you know, you mentioned the sacrifices and obviously for anyone at the top of their game, regardless of whether it's an athlete or in business or any fucking area of life, there comes sacrifice. Otherwise you're yeah, very unlucky to get to that stage. So what are some of the, I guess, the sacrifices that you, when you look back now, obviously it's probably, it's not obviously not a regret, but there are things that you feel like you maybe missed out on or, or things you really had to sacrifice in order to reach that level. Yeah, I think for me, the dealing with the sacrifice was easy to a degree because of how important the end goal was. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, when you have such a definitive goal in your mind and it's so important to you above anything else in your life, the sacrifices feel very small. You know, I think about the times I missed out playing with my friends when I was younger, times in the playground, mm -hmm. probably doing a lot of the things that younger kids would normally do in their teens and growing up. I spent my time in the gym. Mm -hmm. uh, I missed out on a lot of family time, growing good connections with yep. friends because the most important thing to me at that time in my life was my sport and, and my weightlifting. Yeah. Um, so yes, they are sacrifices, which would seem a much bigger to someone that hold, hold importance in that thing. Yeah, yeah. But for, like I said, the most important thing is if you've got a deep desire to achieve a goal, this is part of the process, you know. How do you deal with uh, doubt or failure, right? So obviously in something like uh, weightlifting, there's, there's going to be numerous times, very consistently, I would imagine where you are. Um, and I could be wrong, but where you're reaching failure, right? You're, you're, miss, you're falling short of whether it's a lift or whether it's in competition, whatever it is. Um, and then that carries across to how you process it in everyday life stuff as well. Have you, have you always been good with dealing with setbacks or failures and, and what's your process around maintaining a positive headspace and just kind of chucking it in the bank and letting those efforts compound? Yeah, I think the older I got, the the easier that became. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes that I kind of live by is the biggest lessons you learn are when you lose. Mm -hmm. And I think back when I look back at some of the hardest experiences I had in as an athlete and also in life, the lessons that I learned from them really made me who I am today. And I've very rarely met 
someone who's reached any level of success in their life, like you said, in sport or business, yeah. that hasn't experienced a level of adversity. Mm. And I think it becomes a superpower in a way. After you've been through failure, you know what it like, what it feels like to uh, miss out on an opportunity or to come second when you're hoping for first. Mm -hmm. That feeling for us all is the same. Whether it's me missing out on the Olympic Games or you missing out on qualifying for the club championships and yeah. local golf competition, that feeling remains the same. And understanding that for me made it much easier um, to, I guess, come to terms with what I've been through and use it as fuel to make sure that the next time I wouldn't put myself in that situation where I lose again, because no one likes that feeling. Mm. And I think it made me get to a point where I had to be really real with myself when I'd missed out on an opportunity or I'd failed and, and gone, why has this happened? And yeah. that's something that I feel that we don't do as much as humans when things are going well. We very quickly will just continue to succeed and go, everything's going great. Yeah. The minute something bad happens or you fail, you reflect. Mm -hmm. And just as important as it is to reflect on, I guess, negative things that have happened to you in your career, in your life that, you know, ultimately I won't make the same mistake on. At the same time, when good things are happening, it's equally as important to understand why are these good yes, things happening yeah. so I can replicate that again. So, um, yeah, that's kind of been my approach when it comes to understanding um, how to deal with with the negativity and failures. And like I said, it's the same for us all, no matter how big or small. Yeah. That's something I've definitely worked on a lot over the past six to 12 months or maybe longer is, is that brutal honesty is, and I think for a lot of people, it'd be a, a fucking massive change in their life, but in a positive way, when things aren't going well or when things don't work out in your favor in particular is having the brutal honesty of taking responsibility for your part in it as well, whether it is in a, a sporting environment or whether it's just in life or business or whatever, I think people are very quickly to very quick to put the blame or, or whatever on someone else or certain outcomes or, you know, just think that it's just bad luck or whatever. But for a lot of people, the lessons really come when you can sit down and do like a proper stock take on your part in every failure. Like I said, whether it's business or sport. Um, and as you said, that's when you tend to learn the most about not only yourself, but um, you know, how to make sure you're not making these mistakes again. Yeah. And it's the most enjoyable part, you know? Mm. And I think if things were good, if th everything went good and everything was easy all the time, everyone would do what you do. Yeah. And in actual fact, I think about when something, I'm going through something difficult, whether that be in my business now or as an athlete and I'm not achieving where I want to achieve, the fun bit is the working out bit. And that's the bit where you actually get to challenge your your knowledge, your mm. training, your ability to really refine your processes and to dig in, to take that next leap up, whether it be another kilo on your bar or yep. another 10 grand in your bank account. It's, you know, whatever it may be to you, it's that on test switch for you to then go, right, how are we going to overcome this challenge or yep. make sure that we don't do it again? And it's the most exciting bit, man. Yeah, it's that problem solving. And the, the fucking good times don't feel as good when there when there is no bad times in between. No. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, business for a little bit. Um, something that I've found personally coming from a background of playing sport and competing is all the disciplines that I've learned, particularly around, you know, when I was doing physique competing, it's very, again, very much an individual sport and all the, the good and the bad shit comes down to stuff that you have or haven't done. I find the crossover between being an athlete and business is significant. And I feel like the reason why I've been able to do a lot of things within business is because of those disciplines and the foundation I had from 
being an athlete. So for you stepping into the world of business, which you said, you know, before quite an early adopter with a lot of the stuff you're doing, um, how have you found the business side of things? And is it something that you really enjoy? And do you feel like you bring that competitiveness from sport across to how you're going with business? Yeah, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head that there is a lot of carryover. Um, and I think with discipline more than anything, um, mm. problem solving that can really be helpful in business to a degree. But then there's also a lot of skill sets that I didn't have, yeah. um, especially as my businesses have grown, that I've had to look to get support and help with, you know. And I would say at heart and it was actually after a long conversation that I had with someone it wasn't on a podcast but um when I was seeking some advice from someone when he actually turned around to me and said Sonny you sound like a creative not a business owner and if I could give you one bit of advice it'd be to go and hire a CEO and that was like a I guess a big bit of reality check I Mm -hmm. guess is you know at the end of the day I'm an athlete I'm good at the creative side of things but I think a lot of people in the fitness space that then move into trying to run a business try to do a lot of things that they're yeah. not good at because they Trying feel as though the they should, yeah, yeah. should because it's their business yeah. and in actual fact it, mean, it means that your time is then drawn away from the thing that you're really good at yeah. whether that be coaching whether that be creating content whether that be helping people mm. to do accounts or to run work schedules or yeah, to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to seek new acquisition. You know what I mean? It's like all of these skill sets. That, Delegation side yeah. of things, yeah. We had this conversation with a guest this morning and this person's business partner, he was saying how like their skill sets and their strengths and even the way they approach things is almost completely different and that's the exact reason why their company does so well. When, you know, you are trying to wear all of the hats and, you know, I fucked up with this for so long. It's like, it's almost like you think of your fucking business as like a baby. So your own little baby. So it's like, you don't want to pass off any of that responsibility. Um, And I think for a lot of people, it's a bit of an ego and pride thing as well. It's like, oh, if it's my business, I should be doing all this stuff or I shouldn't be giving this all to someone else. But what are, I guess, some of the, the lessons that you've taken away from the business side of things, whether it be from failures or, or things that you picked up through business that, you know, for someone that's listening or watching at the moment that is either starting a business or is in the early stages of theirs that you would be able to pass on? Yeah. I mean, that's such a big question because mm. there's so many mistakes and fuck ups I've made that people could learn from, but we'd be here all night. I think though, in someone that's just starting mm-hmm. and beginning their business journey, I think having a really clear vision as to what the purpose is of what you're trying to do is super important yeah. because I think as your business starts to grow and expands and it will do very quickly mm-hmm. over time, you can very easily lose sight of what you're trying to do here and what your main purpose is with what you do within your business. Um, so I think always having that as kind of like a rule book Um, in terms of how you make decisions in your business space and also um, when you're getting into tricky spots with expansion, growth or where the next step is in business, having that to look at and go, this is what we're doing and does this next decision still take us closer to the end goal here? Mm. If yes, then great. I think secondly, have a clear picture in your head of what success looks like to you. We're exposed so much nowadays to external influences, other people's businesses, yeah. how well they're, they're doing. We have no actual clue, yeah. um, but we see, and it can very much impact your decision-making around what you're doing with your business. So if you have a clear, I guess, 
goal in your head of what success looks like, what it looks like when you're getting to where you want to go. Yep. Um, it will really help you reach a point and feel proud of where you're at. Um, a lot of people just go up, 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 up and up. And I can tell you now we've done that before, made a lot more money and I've not gained any further happiness because it, it actually wasn't what was I was looking to do in terms of where I felt gratification, satisfaction, sat, satisfaction, is that a word? Satisfaction, thank yeah. you. We can make satisfaction <laughs> a word if we want, yeah, we yeah, fuck it, yeah. In, um, in what I was doing. So I think that that's, that's really important. Do you have any mentors or, or has there been certain people over the, over the years who you've kind of really leaned on or learned a lot from? Yeah, so many people. And I love learning from people. You're never like too smart or doing too good in business to not mm. learn from anyone. And that's not even just people that are making more money than you or more successful than you. It's someone that just may have experienced something that you haven't experienced yet yeah. in business that you can learn from. And I mean, for anyone that's listening, if I was going to give one person to go and absorb as much content as possible from it, be Phil Graham. Mm -hmm. um, he's been in the game a long time, helping people in the fitness space grow their businesses. And um, he's extremely successful in his own right and what he's done as a business owner. And he's also equally made a lot of mistakes and helped a lot of people get through a lot of different adversities. And I love having him to bounce ideas off. I love bouncing ideas off uh, Lockie just yeah. purely on the basis that we do something very similar, but also very different. Yeah. Um, so we knowledge share um, on, on that side of things, which is, which is really helpful too. The outside perspective I think is really, really helpful too. Like as you said, it doesn't even necessarily have to be within the same space. Like sometimes I'll talk to, you know, unfortunately a lot of my face-to-face -face clients I still work with are, are in big business and, you know, their perspective of my business, they'll have some insight as to something that I've been completely blinded by or I'm so, my blinkers are on so badly that I'm missing something that's very obvious that someone in, not even in the fitness industry can kind of see within the business. So yeah, you're right. Like being able to leverage and have just good conversations with people um, that will be brutally honest with you and not just yes, man, um, is a game changer. Yeah, and just on that as well, me and Lockie actually had a good chat in length on, on Sunday when we went for a walk, and we like to do that regularly just to kind of bounce ideas off each other. And we were saying like how nowadays we're so exposed to information and mm -hmm. knowledge and tips and tricks on <laughs> everything under the sun yeah. that if you're always absorbing information that you're not necessarily ready for or content that doesn't actually relate to what you're working on right now, you can very easily be drawn in different directions. Yeah. And that's why, why it can feel like you're trying to fill every hole in one, in one moment. Whereas I think if you understand of what you're trying to improve on in your business at the moment or what the key goal is for that week, that quarter, yep. absorb content around that, around that and it will help you make sure that you're staying on track to achieve the thing that you're actually trying to focus on. Mm. Um, and that's equally as important because at the end of the day, your way of doing something and my way of doing something might be completely different. Yep. It doesn't mean that's either one's right or wrong, but you have to kind of figure that out with the tools yourself. Mm. Yeah, you're hundred percent correct whether it be with business, um, even in fitness, I, I was quite similar. Like I was, I got caught in the trap of like, you get, as you said, there's so much information and there's so many, so much good information out there. And it's like almost that dopamine hit. You see something like, fuck yeah, I need to do that. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, see your next place, fuck yeah, I need to do that. And then all of a sudden you've done fuck all, <laughs> or like you're actually on the right path for you and your business and for where you're at. 
But then when you start seeing all this other shit, it gets overwhelming and you start questioning the things that are already working. And so even within like, say the personal development space, that was something that I got into a few years ago and I was loving it. But then I was just like, fuck, I'm listening to like, or watching five or six different people who are all having a slightly different message. So then you're just like, oh, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So then I just kind of would narrow it into one or two people for a while and really just just stick to them and even you know unfollowing certain accounts on social media so you're not seeing like all this random shit um and that's the thing like it could be the wrong fucking thing but at least that way you will stick to it for a while and figure it out whether it is or it isn't and it goes back to what we're saying about sport that's the fun bit yeah you do you enjoy it for the good bits the bad bits the mistakes you'll make Mm. and just stay in your own lane and you'll have a great time yeah (laughs) what is um i guess what's the definition of success for you at the moment in life in general Again, uh, I question this this all the time, and it's something that is a moving goalpost. I think all the time. I think what you find value in in different points of your life changes regularly. Um, if you asked me two three years ago, it probably would have been less than where I'm at now in terms of in terms of what I have. Um, and I'm trying to now work out more on a regular basis um, what's actually giving me satisfaction and fulfillment. And I always think back to like my underlying goal, my purpose in what I do is to change the way that people perceive the sport of weightlifting in the world and make it accessible to the masses. Like that's like my underlying thing Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to do. I want to bring weightlifting into the 21st century and modernize it. And, you know, I think that as long as that always remains my underlying goal, success to me is things that are based around that, increasing the amount of people that I'm helping on a Mm -hmm. day-to-day basis, um, reaching more faces, helping introduce more people um, to the sport of weightlifting, um, helping people reach their potential in the sport and unlock new PBs. And I think like anything that is important to me from a success point of view heavily relates to my purpose. And that's how I'd kind of define what success means to me. And everything else that is a benefit of those things is a byproduct, more business, more money, um, ability to experience more things, which I highly value. Yeah, same. Um, Experiences, interactions, meeting new people, good conversation, which is so important to me Mm -hmm. nowadays. I think that they're all byproducts of those underlying things. Yeah, love that. On a personal note, is there, what's like the main thing at the moment for you personally that you feel like is a, I don't know if weakness is the right word, but something that you're tr- trying to really work on for yourself at the moment, just as a person? Yeah, um, great question. I never been a big reader. Um, and recently I've come across, I guess, issues with being able to communicate with people well, especially in a business. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now a team of 14 people. It's not just me and my business partner. And we'd ring each other up as and when and go, yo, should we do this? Yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> and off you go. Um, it's meant that I've had to become more of a leader and a better communicator than I am. And um, Lockie actually gave me a book just recently, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And I'd say something that I'm personally working on is improving my ability to communicate with people yep. and get people to work cohesively together. And I think that that's something that I've not been good in business in before. Um, so I'd say that's the most important thing for me right now that I'm trying to improve on um, and better management of, of my own time, making sure that 
I prioritize the things that keep me healthy, that keep me happy mm -hmm. and keep me from a mental health point of view in a, in a good space as well. On that note, the mental health and uh, headspace perspective, like what is, what are some of the things you're actively doing, tools you've got in your toolkit to help with the mental side of things and to not only just stay happy and positive, but to, to also um, allow yourself to have a great day every day and, and then also not get in, in a bit of a rut mentally. Yeah, so I'd probably just like to share first of all one of the biggest, one of the mistakes I've been making recently. Um, I work super early hours in the morning till super late at night and I will get up at, so say my first meeting starts at seven mm -hmm. and I've gone to bed at like one or two o'clock in the morning. I will set my alarm at 6.45, roll out of bed and go straight into work. Yeah, And I get no time to myself in the morning to actually think about how I'm feeling for that day. Think about, about yeah. what I want to achieve for that day. And all of a sudden four hours has passed. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that I'm trying to do um, in the first part of the day, and you know, this is individual to everyone. There's no right or wrong answer to mm. this. Need a special type of coffee or need to go and sit in a fucking ice bath. Yeah. Or you need to read 10 pages. It's what's right for you. And for me, what makes me feel the best in the morning is just going for a 10 to 15 minute walk to get some sunlight, some fresh air and not be impacted by my phone, which I'm so bad with a lot of the time. Yeah. So that's one thing. And secondly, I think the other thing that I'm working on a lot is, um, just my how late I'll be working as well to have more free time to um, actually unwind or decompress if you like after a long day. Yeah, awesome. Prioritizing training um, above work. I know that if I don't train each day, I'll be in a bad mood. Yep. You know, and it affects other people mm -hmm. because that's my one thing in in my life that makes me feel like everything's okay. It's like my continuum if I train. Yeah. I'm fine. If I don't train, something's wrong. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. I think realizing that and trying to stick to that is something that's been really important for me recently. Yeah. The bit you mentioned about getting, just rolling out of bed and straight into your day. And as you said, you don't have to have, everyone's individual. You don't have to have some fucking crazy full morning routine if that's not for you. But I think when you don't give yourself that time, you become very reactive to the day and the day is kind of controlling you instead of you, as you said, getting on the right foot and having some clarity around how you feel, what you want to achieve out of the day, like what mindset you want to come into that first 7am mm -hmm. meeting with. It makes a significant difference. Yeah. Well, you're hypersensitive in the morning when you, when you first wake up and all it takes you to flick over your phone and see something that you don't want to see <laughs> that can have a huge impact on the, on the rest of your day. And I'm realizing that and I yeah. didn't probably put enough um, importance on the, how that affected my day. Um, and now I'm just more conscious of like, I like music in the morning. I like that little bit of time outside before, uh, I like 15 minutes in the shower to just be with my own thoughts. Yeah. You know, these kinds of things I'm realizing the value that it's having in the other areas of my life. So yeah. I'm trying to make, I guess, make it important that I do those things. From a training perspective, um, let's say when you were like, let's say getting ready for the games, right. Or, or just competing in general, when you rock up to the gym and obviously this is dependent on what session you've got for that day or what lift you're doing, but like, what's your process from the moment you walk in until you reach that first lift? Cause I obviously you do a lot of great work around mobility and the importance of it and the effectiveness of it. And you've got a business in the area as well. Um, and we'll have the links to all of your stuff in the show notes too. So to find out more about all that stuff, guys, you can head into the show notes, but 
what's that process from the moment you step in the gym? Actually, let's say before, um, including, I don't know what you do for nutrition, but um, nutrition and then coming into the gym before you do your first working set, what does that look like? Yeah, I just think on on this before we dive into it, what it's like for me, like yeah. again, I believe that there's no right or wrong answer with this. And all that I will say to anyone when it comes to nutrition, process, pre-training routine, whatever you do in training, 99% of the time, other than in competition, you do the same in competition. And it's really important that you don't change stuff. Yeah for the sake of competition, mm -hmm. because it's worked for you every other day yeah. up to this point where you've had great training. So why do you start eating chicken and broccoli the day before fucking it's like, competition? You fuck, know? it's like bodybuilding. That was one of the things that I used to just, used to fucking blow my mind. You'd have guys prepping for a show, eating a certain way for like fucking 13 weeks. And then the week before the show, they've just gone some fucking crazy new approach they found on Google for like a week. And you wonder why you look like shit on the fucking day, but you've looked great for the last month. Um, but yeah, so anyway, yeah. sidetracked, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's it. So the things that are important to me, if I think about like my bare minimum of what I know is important to me to perform well, it's definitely the sleep the night before. Um, I wouldn't necessarily change my activity level um, coming up to a competition or the day before a competition or a big event because mm. I know that I like to move. So I like to train. I like to exercise the day before um, a, a competition environment setting. Preparation is really important the day before a heavy um, session or a competition. So making sure that all your kits laid out, you've mm. got everything that you need in order to perform prepped and ready the day before. Um, yep. Minimizing the... Um, I guess, emotional stress of not knowing where something is or needing something. Decision-making as well, yeah. Decision-making full stop on that yeah. day is, is really important. Things that personally have been really important for me, I guess, throughout my years of training is understanding what makes you feel good in training. So um, for me, there's certain people that I like to have around mm -hmm. um, and I have the luxury of having around when I compete. I'm a performer, I'm an entertainer at heart and I know when there's a crowd and there's an environment, you're going to get sunny at his best. Yeah. Um, because I very much perform for people. Um, mm -hmm. I like that. I like yeah, to bring- Feed off that energy. Yeah, I like to bring people enjoyment of, uh, from what I do. Yeah. Um, so I know that's important factor to me to perform really well. Uh, the second thing that I really like to do, I'm very, um, I guess, consistent with my food. Yep. Um, more than anything from, from a health point of view and the older I've get, guys become more and more important to me to fuel my body well and and eat consistently good um do i still have takeaways yes we have mm. indian once a week and we yeah. love it yeah um but nine nine times out of ten throughout the day i have a very similar routine yep um and i think that's important to do the same on competition day so um for me it's at least nine hours nine hours sleep before like a really big session would yep. be important it's not to say I haven't had good sessions after four hours sleep and a yeah. skin full of beer, but <laughs> if we're going to try and leave nothing to chance, it's yeah. nine hours sleep. Um, I always have quite a light breakfast in the morning. Um, oats, protein, and banana um, would be what I'd have every single day. So I'd eat the exact same thing. Um, again, I'd try and surround myself with people that make me feel good. Like having a good vibe and a good emotion um, going into performance is really important. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd minimize things that I know would potentially put me off on a, on a bad track. Yep. Um, uh, I always eat an hour before um, my performance. That was to be the best time to eat. I wouldn't change my meal. Mm -hmm. um, but I know whenever I have a big session, what I love to have is a bag of snakes and a monster energy drink. So that's uh, what I have. Yeah. Yeah. 
Could that be from a performance point of view, something I could have that would be better? Yes, but that works for me. Yep. And I think with anything, if you're going to change um, your structure or your process before a performance or where you, when you want to peak, I guess you need to make sure you do that three to six months out and make it something that's part of your routine mm. so that it doesn't change just purely on the day. So I hope that kind of answers your question, I guess, give you insight into the things that are important for me before a performance. Definitely. Um, just on the training thing again, um, let's just say in actual training throughout the week. The warm up, yeah. The warm up, yeah. I'd love to get a bit of an insight into that. Yeah, so um, tapering, I'm actually doing it this week because I'm going for, I'm doing a competition on Friday. Oh, sick. Um, yeah, awesome. so <laughs> I can give you a good insight. Have you got, uh, what what numbers are you, are you hoping for? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk you through that and kind of take yeah, you through cool. this process. And cool. just for anyone that's listening, listening, if you do do weightlifting and you want to compete in fun competitions like this, it's all at the lifting zone, which we'll again put in below. Mm -hmm. But this is a barbell club competition at the lifting zone that's okay. happening. Um, and always the Friday before a competition. So say I'm gonna compete on Friday, I'll look a week before that and that'll be my last heavy session. So a week out, I'll run up to what I wanna hit as my openers for the competition. Okay. So for me in this instance, I want to do 147 opener and a 177 opener for clean jerk. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is in kilos. Yeah. So that's when I'd hit that last session on the Monday before. Um, it's always very light, like biggest mistake that people make when they're going to compete in the sport weight of thing is feeling like they need to do more and more up to the competition. Cause they're worried all of a sudden they're going to forget how to do it in a week. Yeah isn't the case yeah so this whole week's about keeping things um nice and light and focusing on good form technique um and positioning yep uh i know that my knees are a little bit inflamed at the moment for from the last hard training cycle so i'm reducing the amount that i'm squatting yep um at the moment just because i know that continue i'm not going to get any stronger between now and friday yeah all i'm going to do is potentially um fuck myself up yeah, yeah. <laughs> before before that event yeah um so trying to be as fresh as possible is the most important thing in the lead up um things that are important to me before the actual physical event like i'm gonna be building up to my heavy weights now i've got very good mobility mm -hmm. so for me actually mobilizing pre um lift to a degree it actually hinders my performance Your service yeah yeah and this is where it changes person to person. Yeah, for sure. For someone that has poor mobility, I'll always suggest mobilizing before you strengthen through a range of motion. Mm. When it comes to um, getting peak performance for me, yeah. that's not the case. So right. um, I may prime movements, but I wouldn't necessarily mobilize heavily before a session. Mm. Um, the other thing to consider for me to build up to say 152 kilo snatch or 155, which would be my dream weight on Friday. Yeah. Um, I'll always work backwards from that to work out what weights I want to hit. Okay. I'm going to have seven to eight attempts, um, seven, eight, nine attempts, I guess, before I get to my top lift. So every single one of them is an opportunity to warm up to prime yep. before my big lift. Um, and I just really focus on um, taking the emotional side out of the performance and focus on what I've been doing in the whole build up up to the, the competition that's resulting in a good outcome. Yeah, try and get into that flow state. Yeah. yeah. Is there, I don't know if this is a good question or not, but is there any lifts that you see within the um, Olympic lifting community or maybe novices or maybe intermediate lifters? Um, like, and I don't know how, I actually don't know how much accessory work you do outside of the main lifts, but like, is there any lifts that you look at and just think, 
this is a fuck like that's a fucking useless exercise to be doing in your program for what your goal outcome is. Yeah, that you see people doing often. That's a good question. I think that you know when so many different um, there's so many different thought processes and schools of thought when it comes to being a great Olympic weightlifter. Yeah. There's American. There's Eastern European. There's um, various different modalities Chinese in terms of what people think is the right way Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time when people go through the learning process to become a great Olympic weightlifter what they do is they jump on YouTube and they they see a Chinese weightlifter pop up or a crazy Russian pop up and they're doing some (laughs) fucking obscene weights (laughs) and go I'm gonna do that without no understanding as to what the benefit is of that exercise Mm -hmm. There's lots of different schools of thoughts that I disagree with or that I don't think is the correct way for people to do lifting. Yeah. But for me, nonetheless, I've taken the time to actually understand the reasoning behind what they do. Yeah. Um, so that I can un- I can then explain it. There's lots of technical jargon around this yep. that we could dive into, which would probably bore yeah. <laughs> the listeners to death. But I think what's important is making sure that the way in which I teach and the methodologies that I teach are speaking to the person that I'm teaching. If we're going to take Sandra off the street, who's 40 years old now, and she goes, I want to do Olympic weightlifting. I'm not going to teach her the same way as a nine-year-old Chinese boy was taught when he started weightlifting. Yeah. Because the start point is completely different. Yeah. And therefore, this is where I've spent so much time in my education in Olympic weightlifting, what I teach people to modernize the approach, to Mm. give you a technique which every single person that's listening right now could literally take, follow, and be able to perform a snatch and a clean and jerk to some degree. Mm -hmm. It's different to trying to make someone good enough to go to the Olympic Games. Yes, without a doubt, yeah. So in terms of the processes and methodologies that people are used, there's not right or wrong answer. There's a lot that I disagree with, but I'd be more than anything understanding the reasoning behind why with everything that they do and how does that relate to me? Mm. Absolutely love that. Uh, what is, what's your current PB? Uh, my lifetime best is 160 kilo snatch and 200 kilo clean and jerk. Um, at what body weight? At 94. Um, I've not been near those numbers for a while because like I said, for now, I just train for fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's my hour and a half of the day, which I take for myself to do what I love doing, which Mm -hmm. is throwing barbells around. (laughs) Um, So if I could hit this weekend, 155, 190, that'd be great. I've always been in within five, 10% of my lifetime best numbers because- I still train pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard to just switch the fucking competitive mindset off, isn't it? It doesn't really happen. I never really had that diehard competitive like nature in me, though. Really? Like, it was... I love hey, weight... competing like, against even, yourself? Even competing, like, you know, I was... And I always say this, I was more interested in winning best dress than I was winning the competitions <laughs> a lot of the time. Like, because for me, like weightlifting if you get into weightlifting because you want money fame success you're in the wrong fucking sport yeah that's what i always (laughs) say but i get so much enjoyment from actually challenging myself and trying to achieve my personal goals that's the most important thing to me so when i'd say i'm competitive i i wouldn't you know when people say are you competitive what's i'd not say i'm super competitive Right. My missus might argue differently yeah. <laughs> when we're playing poker. Yeah. I'd say I'm not by no means the most competitive athlete. Um, I've met athletes like Matt Fraser that would kill to fucking win. And they have that burning desire to yeah. make sure they're on top every time. I just quite enjoy just being there and 
that's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. I feel like longevity wise as well with training, that's that's a much better outcome as well. Like you can the only fact you can go you. in and just enjoy yourself. Yeah. You can only do you and you can only at the end of the day, like with everything that you do, just try and be one percent or one kilo better than you were the day before, and you'll gain so much more enjoyment from any training or sports performance that you do. Simple. Fuck yeah. Last question, uh, random one, but what's something at the moment you're super grateful for? Ooh, great question. I'm super grateful at the moment, more than anything, for the people that I have around me, the minds and the knowledge that I'm exposed to on a day-to-day basis to help me be a better person, people to be, um, I guess, open and honest with me and truthful with me so that I can learn, develop, and grow. I think over the last week or two weeks has been what I felt most grateful for above anything else. Awesome, man. Well, it's been a pleasure to meet Dave, you and I'm looking forward you. to staying in touch and getting to know you a little more. Um, and for everyone who's tuned into this episode, uh, as I said, I'll have all of Sonny's socials and, and links to everything in the show notes below so you can go and connect with him, follow more of his content. If you found today really interesting, we'd love for you to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on your Instagram story, tag myself, tag Sonny, um, and make sure you subscribe to the show and we'll chat to you in the next episode. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. 